You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. Everybody, wow, this is episode five, five of one of a kind, Mr. Five Star. Five time, five time. We got the expert of the five star frog splash himself. It is none other than Rob Van Dam. Rob, welcome back, man. It's been fun so far. Yes, it has. Happy episode number five. I, but that's that's uh, the fifth one uploaded and then we have that one in the bank in case we emergency. got the one in the can so i yes this is the fifth one stick. uploaded okay so we've, we've done six then okay that sounds right from a shoot standpoint we've done six so this is technically episode six but whatever <laughs> we're going yeah, kayfabe today <laughs> just in case uh rvd for some reason can't record for a week we do have an episode on uh, in the can you know but i mean Dude, I really don't get sick. Dude, I was going to try to um, cut down on the uh, adult language a little bit just to see if it affected the algorithms, but apparently I, I can't. I've, I already, I've already noticed uh, that it just, uh, the words, it, it, it's, it's, it's me, yo. It's who I am. You know what, though, Rob? Like, so when I upload videos for, like, Kurt Angle or Arn, they always give the kind of the thing where is there language in there? And if if we don't, if we do it at the beginning of the clip, say when we post it, that's when it might get flagged. But as long as we have a little bit of leeway, I don't know. The algorithm's so fucking weird, anyway. So it's like, yeah, what are well, you gonna do? The yeah. learning process, right? Very much a learning process. Yeah. Now, I there might be something to it, though. I'll have to. I'll do a little bit more digging and see what we can figure out. But yeah, all the videos that I watch, those um, First Amendment auditors, they. They uh, they censor it, you know. They bleep if they swear, and um, I mean, not even just swearing words, you know, like sex or drugs. Yeah, you, know. you can't. That's say always. Ones. Yeah, you definitely can't say certain ones. I know too. That's always been weird to me. Censorship, you know, mm -hmm. it's so weird. And like, uh, it's like that here on the radio in Las Vegas, and it was like that in Los Angeles where I lived for like twenty years. I thought that. Los Angeles would be like the most progressive city. But now I know the Sin City is here where I'm at in Vegas. Now, I don't even know if that's true, but definitely not when it comes to the radio anyway, because you can't say certain words on the radio. And it's like, I would be like, wait, this is Los Angeles. And this is where all the hip hop, you know, originates. And, 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 and then the words that everybody knows 
would be it's stupid words too you know sometimes yeah. it'd be like they wouldn't say ho that that would be bleeped out in the lyrics and it's like who's who's really i mean what is that about i don't even who gives power to those words i know like it's their words you know what i mean it's like uh but people are so they're so in tune and so like worried about i actually have we have an ask rvd question later on about that so uh, what's that we have an ask rvd question kind of similar in that regard so oh okay yeah, yeah. So, well I, i've always i've always expressed how crazy i think i think censorship is because it, it, it's it should be the intent that could offend somebody you know like if i say uh Man, Dominic, you're a really cool fucking dude. But you go, hey, hey, hey. Hey, come on. What? I wasn't cussing. You started cussing at me. I guess. You know what I mean? <laughs> but but if I say, you know, man, I hate your guts. Every time I see you, I just want to slap you. That should be more offensive than, dude, you're a great fucking dude. But yeah. not with the, the, the way the, the rules are in society. And it's like, it, it's just crazy because it doesn't what's it about? I don't know. I mean, a lot of the rules have to do with uh, religious times because it was only 150 years ago that I think everything was by word of Jesus, as far as I knew, you know, and, and everything I was exposed to, you know what I mean? Like everything uh, that, that I was uh, ever taught or that people uh, lived by, whatever, and still, I mean, you know, you can't drink on Sundays in certain places and stuff. And it's easy to trace that back to to religion. But where does swearing come from? Like, where in the Bible does it say, thou shalt not say motherfucker? Right, right. You know, it's like, I, uh, I imagine, like, several of the apostles dropped a lot of F-bombs, you know? And, and by, I mean, and, I mean, I could go on and on about this. But if you haven't thought about it, it's just the, the word is just the way you pronounce something. So, you know, uh, a word in one language may not be um, a adult word in a, the other language. So, so then what, you know, where, how do you rule that one out? It's just, it's just silly anyway. Right. Should it be is the intent, right? Should be the <laughs> intent. <laughs> well, <laughs> it sounds like you had a pretty good time on uh, the keeping it 100 with Conan and disco. Talk about that experience a little bit. It was a fun interview to listen back to and everything. Yeah. Uh, Disco interrupts a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, it was fun, dude. Uh, what, you know, I mean, I've known him since like 92 or something. And, uh, and Conan also, you know, just, he's always been around. So uh, it was cool. What, one thing that stuck out in my mind, the, um, they asked me at the end <clears throat> something about, they said they didn't know, but they asked about, uh, that I had heat with Jericho. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was like, heat with Jericho, like Jericho was mad at me. Not, not that I know of, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and, and I just explained it was, there was a little, uh, it was a little gruff for me adjusting to the political atmosphere coming in. And he, he was kind of representing the other side at that point. And, uh, but, but there was no heat, like, because he didn't, uh, he didn't even know he was surprised when I said that in interviews, like years later, when I said, you know, that it was like a political fight talking to him because he was already part of that machine. And it was like so frustrating for me. Um, <clears throat> but that was that was a long time ago. And that's what I and that's what I answered with. But but then I thought about it. And now I know what he's asking about. Yeah. <clears throat> he's asking about heat because. <clears throat> 
And this would have been great to talk about last week when we were talking about anger. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've told this story so many times, but I know this is what dude was probably talking about. Um, and, Cause I've said this on a few interviews and he, he obviously heard it, but one day uh, in WWE, they wanted to see me mad. See, they always thought that that's where money was going to be. We've never seen RVD angry. There's got to be a point where you just, girl, you just lose control. And I was like, man, isn't that everybody else, you know? Yeah. And, and um, you know, what's wrong with being the guy that doesn't get mad, you know? But they, you know, they always got to try the opposite of what works, whatever, you know? But anyway, I I was like, um, you know, grr, okay, yeah, I got it. And, uh, and I was going to wrestle, uh, <laughs> and I was wrestling um, or doing a run-in at the end of the night. Uh, I cursed Jericho. And so all day, all the angels kept coming up to me and, and they would just be like, just, mm, just remember like, man, you know, like just think of something that makes you angry. I'd be like, I got it. You know, damn, they were, I mean, this they were bad <laughs> you for real, for real, because they were picking at me like all day like that. And, uh, and then, and I was already like, oh, you know, like I, they, they had me worked up and they worked up. And then uh, before Chris goes out there, he's, 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 you know, doing it too. You know, and he had been also, you know, just, you know, have something in mind, you know, that really makes you mad. You know, dude, I'm a professional, bro. You know, right before he goes out there, he goes, just like, act like I hit on your wife. And I was just like, <laughs> I went out there, <laughs> I ran out there and I was so pissed. Bam, bam, bam. I, bam, I punched him in the face. I jumped up and frog splashed him and I grabbed the belt because he was the champion at the time. Bam. And I threw it down on him. They wanted me to cover him uh, and do my own one, two, three. And I was too pissed. I forgot about it. Yeah. You know, I, I stormed out there and, and I couldn't even uh, shower or take my clothes off. I was so mad. Um, I had to grab my stuff and storm out of there in my wrestling gear and, and drive to the hotel and I was still hot till like uh, sometime the next morning. I don't have, I don't have a big range of emotions. So when I do really, when you really, I, I can't blame it on someone else and say, when you really get me there and prove that I should be mad. But when I let myself get there is a better way to put it. But uh, when I, when I feel that I'm in touch with that, it's not an easy, just like, boom, change back. You Sometimes know? you have to ride it out and like, just be like, all right, I'm mad. I can't do anything about it right now. And that's what's going to happen, you know? So I think that's probably what dude was talking about. And by the way, last week we were talking about anger and I was trying to explain that uh, a lot of times, like I'll start to feel the anger coming up, but then right away it's washed off with common sense. And I got myself trained like that. Yeah. And, uh, and I think you were like, yeah, you mean like after you've had a while to think about it. And I was like, no, like not even like a quarter second. I thought of this because one thing about talking about things like this, like my values, is when I have to articulate these thoughts in my mind, then it um, it reassures my feelings. It also makes me more aware when that happens. You know, I'll be like, you know, I was just talking about this. You know what I mean? And so that's good. So that's why, you know, teaching um, is great for learning, you know, um, paying attention, more aware of my own experiences, all that. But Here's here's a way that I think maybe I can help the fans uh, understand. Um, so like the um, <clears throat> so there's a ladder match with RVD and Jeff Hardy, right? right. 
<laughs> okay, the anger for me will be Jeff Hardy just climbing up to the bottom step of the ladder, right? Yeah. Right away, RVD kicks the ladder out, boom, he falls down, boom. No anger, no Jeff Hardy ascending the ladder. That's that's how it works in in my mind. It's always over something. <laughs> it's always over something stupid. I'm like for a tiny little bit, I'll be like, "Where's the fucking lighter?" And I want to blame the only other person in the house, but me that lives here, you know. But even before it ever even becomes a real thought, it washes away right away with uh, common sense. And then you know, if anything, I just kind of laugh at myself because. I know that I'm I'm the one that put the lighter, you know, wherever it is anyway. And it's so, but that's the way it works in my, that's as close as I get to letting myself get angry. That's great though. But it does like, to your point, it takes some time to kind of get used to it and be like, oh, okay. It's all, it's automatic now. But it's like, if you're cognizant of it and aware of like, hey, I'm getting mad. All right. I got to fucking just chill out. Not, it's not as big as a deal as I think it is. You get used to it. It's something, right. it's a work in progress for me. I know that much. Yeah, well, no, that's a all RVDology. Every single bit of it is about reprogramming yourself, and it's important. A lot of people never bother to reprogram themselves as adults, so they still think Santa's real. And I think it's important because people use this as an excuse too many times. I know, but I wasn't brought up that way. Right. So what? You know, I was brought up in a, in a segregated city where we had like two black kids in each uh, grade. You know, you think yeah. you think the white kids weren't racist then? I mean, we liked the black kids. Uh, you know, they were cool, but they still had to put up with a lot of language and a lot of jokes and just stupid kid stuff. And and you know, thinking back at it, I can't imagine being like, "Well, I'm gonna." I'm going to stick with this because it's it's how it used to be when I was a kid. Right. It's like, oh, you know, this, I just want the, nah, you don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> well, hey, so a little bit of feedback. I, I took some stuff off of YouTube here, uh, tying into actually just where we're kind of talking about. Eduardo Texedo Jr. from YouTube, he says, this is one of the greatest YouTube pages I have found. I love awesome. you sharing your insight and opinions. So, and, Oh, good. Yeah. So he digs that. Um, Paul Landis off of YouTube also says, Rob is cool. He doesn't really talk shit about people. Seems like a cool dude. <laughs> so there you go. And then, yeah. And then Brandon, Brando Lee off of YouTube said, RVD said it best. Both him and Sabu were trained by the Sheik, but all three were original. Go figure. And all three carved their own mark into wrestling in their own ways. Sabu was a modern Sheik, yet totally different and innovative. Then RVD comes in with another unique and hybrid style. All three have somewhat different, somewhat copied for something they did. But any fan that knows anything can see that these three wrestlers were above and beyond your basic wrestling. Originality through the roof on all parts. All three are legends in my book. So Very nice letter. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate the feedback. Yeah, some good feedback so far. Um, I was called a mark, and then the guy on the right. Those were the two things I was labeled as, so I'm okay with that. So starting off, yeah. I'm making my impact already. <laughs> I've, I've read the comments, or some of the comments. You know, they're posting like three new videos a day, uh, YouTube Chris is, so it's hard to keep up. But I've read uh, more than I haven't read. Like yeah. uh, the comments on my YouTube page from the clips and they're all positive and i've gotten messages from some of the boys too uh chris masters today said uh, your youtube uh your podcast has been uh fire you know keep doing it um oh, yeah. who else uh was telling me the other day uh i don't know i should have thought about that man people probably want to hear that but 
all the feedback has been good. And like you said, man, it's been fun so far. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's been a great learning experience, I think, for a lot of the, the listeners that tune in and for me, too. So uh, it's kind of just, you know, and just the dynamic, I think, of, of how we're going with the podcast and how it's been working. I, I'm liking how it's rolling along, man. So, uh, so I kind of tying in a little bit to who you mentioned. Um, just, I wanted to get a little current as fuck as we have it, as you have it on your YouTube. Uh, so I don't know if you saw the clip on the. Oh, go ahead. After that, I heard Curtis fuck on my YouTube. Oh, I said current as fuck. Oh, <laughs> kind of like yeah. the YouTube thing, but um. Yeah, which by the way, I, I just uploaded. Um, you know, last weekend uh, I was at. Um, it's always easier to tell you where I'm gonna be than where I was at. And when you were I, at, yes. But it was. Um, God dang it. I was in Florida and Jacksonville, River City, River City. on uh, Sunday. And uh, and that was cool. And um, I made a video of it and I just uploaded it. It'll go live. Well, you know, before this goes, before uh, the podcast. But we'll, we'll put it live. In, in it. Anyway, it was cool. So I, I'm glad I got to see Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah. You don't know how far we go back, dude. You really don't. And, uh, and I, I mean, I had to... I always remind him just because he doesn't know, but he was at my very first match. Really? Yes, sir. It was the Sheik's last big-time wrestling show that he actually promoted, and it was in uh, Toledo, Ohio. And um, I told Abby that he wrestled the Sheik, but now I wonder if that's true because Ken Patera might have wrestled Abdullah, but then who would Sheik have wrestled? I'm not sure. I'll have to look at that. But anyway, that's that was my very first match in 1990. And um, and he's just always been around since then. And Sheik told me stories about him before. So, you know, I got to pop him around everybody when I said, you didn't even used to be Abdul the Butcher. You were the karate master, the great Zila Samara. And he was like, whoa, you, you, you knew that? Hell yeah, I knew you were the great Zila Samara. That's what the Sheik used to book him as with, with big time wrestling. And I have some of those old um, body press magazines, if you want to call them that, souvenir programs um, with the uh, pretty funny um, display of uh, of the the their, their version of Photoshop. They have to cut out the pictures and print yeah, them on the paper. They put them on there? Yeah. Like scrapbooking. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, anyway, that was really cool. And uh, I think I saw uh, Kurt. Um, I don't know. Watch there was the a video. lot of names there. When I looked at yeah. him talk, I like looked at the lineup. And I was like, holy shit, there's a shit ton of wrestlers there. Like, Just like almost always, for some reason, RVD was too busy the whole time to actually get up from my table and go around and say hi to anybody. So uh, I saw some people when they came by my table. And I was like, oh, where are you at? Way over there. All right, man, I'm going to come by. But um, RVD seemed to have the busiest line. Hey, I, I can attest to that. When we were for Ross Draver at the ice, you were, that line was, man, that took forever, dude. It was some good stuff. So. Yeah. It was cool catching up with uh, everyone that I did, though, anyway. Uh, I know I talked to Kevin Sullivan um, at, the, at the bar for a while. And, um Man, um, Katie was with me, so so um, Devon Dudley. Uh, I don't know. I'll just stop there instead of trying to. No, there was so. I I know. I wish I would have had the lineup in front of me because there was. Yeah, there was a lot of. Uh, but like, 
Devon, how's he doing? Is he doing good? I know he had like a little bit of health situation, kind of. He seems fine. He seems fine. He's not selling it, whatever it was. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice. Good to hear, because yeah, I was. I mean, Dudley's. You know, they they reign supreme in ECW, and then going into WWF, they carved out their name again too. So, um, yeah. so what I was gonna touch upon was, um, I don't know if you caught when the dynamite AEW, but speaking of Jericho. It looks like him and Sting are going to be finally facing off for the first time. Um, and serendipitously enough, uh, it was uh, June 13th, uh, 2010 is when you beat Sting for the TNA title, or you retained the title uh, against him at Slammiversary. How, how was it working with Sting? Um, it was good. <laughs> it was good working <laughs> with Sting. Uh, I liked it because uh, from what I remember... I felt like I got to be extreme RVD because I think we went up in the bleachers and maybe I did like a cross body up there or something, you know, and I like I like to always try to add that kind of stuff to my match, the kind of stuff that other people wouldn't necessarily want to take a chance on if they thought you might get hurt or whatever. And that's kind of always part of what I got out of wrestling and still do is showing uh, my um durability you know among with other values as well but uh and, and he's cool and he's and he's sting you know so um i'm gonna be a lot more conscious to not want to hurt him because uh he's he's sting you know right. i think i think you know at least for for my time growing up and or not i don't know let's say growing up the later years, you know, like when I was just getting into the business and leading up to that, when Hulk Hogan was like the man in WWF, which is all I got to watch where I grew up, you know, we didn't get any other wrestling unless I traveled and then went to my grandma's in Detroit or whatever, then I could see some other wrestling. But from the magazines, I knew that there was other groups and the other, I knew there was one other very big group that I didn't get out of, out of Georgia. Um, I don't even know if it was called WCW then. I think it was, uh, I don't know when it changed from NWA, but either way, you know, Sting seemed like he was the big star down there. Like he was, he seemed like he was the Hulk Hogan. Well, him and Ric Flair, I guess. Yeah. Well, like Sting was the guy they were really building to be the big top baby face down there. And like, so like yeah. him clashing with going up against guys like Flair and those names. And later on, like when he won the title, he, you know, went up against Fader and stuff. So he was yeah. definitely, as a kid, just from a, a visual perspective, like, okay, there's Hogan and WAF and then there's Sting and WCW. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, uh, Sting was at a signing that I was at in, for Bobby Fulton and, um, Chillicothe, Ohio, um, mm -hmm. several months back, and Sting had a bigger line than RVD. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's anything to be embarrassed about, though, for sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, that's fair. What's he do? Whatever noise. <laughs> <laughs> Are you surprised he's still going? Like at this age, and you know, uh, him being able to do some of the stunts that he's been able to do is pretty impressive. The reason that I'm really would say that I'm surprised is just because of information that I had gotten and um, it was during his induction into the TNA Hall of Fame mm -hmm. during the speech. 
I don't remember if it was him talking or if it was TNA, which would have probably been Dixie's husband giving the speech. I think it was Sting that was talking and he was saying that he, he was talking about, you know, after his Atlanta run and whatever he did that he thought he was done and that uh, uh, TNA was just starting to do to, to get their first gimmick where they were getting, remember they're a pay-per-view only like every week. Yeah. For a minute? Yep. And so the speech alluded to that and said, you know, that they reached out to him and he was like, oh, man, you know, I I don't know. And then they said, well, come on, you know, we really need you. And he's, man, I think I'm done, you know, my back. And the all right, cool, well, you know, we'll give you this much money. And he was like, all right, you know, for a little bit. And then he, and then, and I'm paraphrasing like a motherfucker, but this is what I remember the speech. Right. And, then, and then later, so, you know, okay, thanks, man. I finished the contract. And I was like, man, thanks. And they were like, man, we need you to stay a little bit longer. And I was like, oh, I think I'm done. And they were like, oh, we'll give you this much more money. And I was like, oh, I guess I could do another year. And and that was the gist of what I got out of his speech for being inducted. So that's why I would say I'm surprised now because that was 2010. What, right? Okay, something like, yeah. Yeah, he, it was definitely, it was at least 10 years ago because then he went to WF. And my run was 2010 to 2012, oh. I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, to his, to the, your point that you made last week when you were talking about one night stand, you kind of, you did it like on your own accord and how you wanted it done. And like, it seems like him coming to AEW, you know, he didn't really get the good send off in WWE. So he went and was kind of able to, you know, reinvent himself almost a Renaissance kind of form in a way and i it's he very much feels like he's doing it on his own terms and it seems like if his his career's coming to an end like you know here this year as it's rumored or reported then you know it's been on his terms so that's kind of neat to see for him yeah yeah and i've always liked him um probably more than he thinks i do yeah (laughs) i just remember also at TNA, when we were dressing inside the studio offices, a lot of the wrestlers would dress in a trailer outside, and those are your your options. And I would dress where Sting dressed. And I remember Sting asking me um, why I never uh, hang out you know, in the room or whatever, because I'd always be in my car. Sure. I mean, I, I'd go in, Jerome, and then you wouldn't see me again. I'd be out in my car listening to, uh, I used to listen to Howard back then, 101, you know. <laughs> had, my, <laughs> had my fill of him after a while, but. Um, right, but you got it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that got me uh, through those days. And um, and then they would just come out, you know, and be like, hey, they want to know if you can do this uh, promo like at 3.30 or whatever. But um, also, I don't sit down when I dress mm-hmm. normally. And that's, and, and, and Sting was asking me, you know, about that. And I took it to mean that, you know, how come I don't sit and hang out with everybody? Because uh, I, I'm standing up and I put my work socks on and I, I put my knee pads on and my shin pads and then my boots in that order. And Sting was like, Rob, how come you never just like have a seat, you know, sit down and, and, and while, you, while you're getting dressed? Because they'd always, because always when I do that, someone's like, hey, you want this seat, you know, or they always try to offer their seat. Sure. And I'm always like, no, thanks. And I told him, I said, dude, it's part of my martial arts training. And it really, it really is, though. I mean, yeah. that's why I do that. It's like a balance thing for me. 
I, you know, there's little things throughout the day and that's one of them, you know, like I, uh, I, I like to put my shoes on when I'm standing, you know, and if when no, possible, when possible, great. when it's possible, I like to bring my foot up uh-huh. uh, to put my shoe on instead of bringing me down to the ground. But, you know, yeah, but that, uh, that's not always possible. Are you going to ask me if, if that was part of my training? Yeah. Is that, was that customary for karate, like martial arts and stuff? Yes. Like this guy, this guy from Battle Creek, James, uh, Williams, he was a, uh, a photographer. I did the tough man contest in Kalamazoo in, uh, 1990, 19, just turned 19, um, uh, just six weeks ago. And, the referee, um, it, his brother filmed the whole thing and gave me his card afterwards and said, you know, I can give you a copy of the, uh, the VHS tape, um, you know, if you, if you want a copy. And I was like, yeah, cool. And then he said, also, I do some training. You know, I think I could help you with some stuff. And, and this guy, uh, everything he did was completely unorthodox, you know, which, which, you know, I love, yes. you know, I love that stuff, but he would do all kinds of stuff that you would never, uh, think, um, it wouldn't be traditional, I guess, anyway. But one of the things was, yeah, he told me to try to pick my foot up to put my shoe on and to tie it, which I don't, I don't do that. I put my foot down, uh, and bend down to tie it. That's kind of hard to hold it up, you know, but, but back then when I was training, you know, he would do weird stuff. Like, uh, we'd, knock on his we'd ring his doorbell he opened us the door the door and then blindfolds us it's like me and uh dango and andy would be with us it'd be like three of us he'd blindfold us and then he'd say uh come this way and and we'd we'd walk we'd go downstairs in the dark basement and we're like dude what's this guy doing and then he would want us to explain and describe uh everything that happened uh and he as if we had to call the police or something and and we'd be like um dude you blindfolded us and brought us downstairs and he you know and he's like um uh, how many stairs you know and uh you know what how did i blindfold you and he wanted every single detail and weird stuff like that sharpened my mind so much back then because he got me you know thinking all the time of like counting steps and and like feeling along the wall for anything that would stand out you know and like all kinds of all kinds of crazy stuff. That's just that's just like one example. But um, I think I talked on here about um, yeah, I did. I talked about the hand on the screen. Yes, the screen I, door. Mm-hmm. That, was that was one him. of his. That was him. Yeah. How about that, I was gonna yeah, I was gonna ask about that if that was him. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's awesome. Yeah. No, I love that. <laughs> that made me think completely different about something. It's like okay, you see something. But it, it, for anyone know. that doesn't know the the hand on the door, he uh, he. He had me put my hand on the screen of his door, which was the top half of his uh, of his door, and he said, "How big is that screen?" And I was like, "I don't know, uh, three foot by." And he said, "Do you know that?" No. He said, "Well, how big is it?" And I was like, "Um, thirty six inches." He goes, "Do you know that?" No. He said, "Just tell, just tell me what you know about it. How about the size of the screen? What can you tell me that you know for sure?" And I was like, um, uh, and finally he said, how about it's bigger than your hand? And I was like, I'll go with that. And then, (laughs) yeah. And then he taught me, you know, about 
change in my whole thought process about um, how I how I um, translate certain things, you know. But he would also like he loved to do this. This was awesome. We'd be somewhere like at a at a park or something, and he would have he would just he'd say like uh, I, I, he'd have me close my eyes, turn around, and he had me open my eyes, and I only get like I don't know whatever say it's 10 seconds or whatever. And then he'd say, close them. And then I turned back around to face him and he'd say, explain, you know, describe everything that you just saw. So for me at that point, it got me to really pay attention to detail. I'm not like that anymore. Um, I couldn't even, if you told me to draw what my neighbor's house looks like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I went, but back then, you know, it would be like first anything like neon or whatever would stand out, you know, or, or big, but, but, but that's, that's eventually what taught me to meditate was I would try and go through all of my senses. What do you see? What do you smell? What do you feel? What do you hear? You know what I mean? If there's an airplane going over and you hear it, that kind of, make sure you mention that, you know, cars, which way are the cars coming from? What directions are they going? And, um, signs, if there's signs, you know, super important. Um, but then, you know, trees, the wind going anyway, um, eventually we had to close our eyes and then describe everything that we could everywhere. And that took really opening up all the senses. And, um, it, it was really cool. It was a cool, non-traditional way to, to, uh, to learn that part of my Zen. And I have no idea where dude is now. No, man, that's, I mean, that's a good kind of thing to always kind of keep in mind too is just a sense of awareness and being like being in the present of where you're at too that's very tough for anybody to do too a lot of the time so it's practice though just like anything else you know like right. if you're if you're um a bird watcher you'll see a hundred times the amount of birds that the same person will see throughout the day taking the same path we just yeah. we don't notice you know like i think i might have said this on the show but I didn't really notice how many churches there were. So I started paying attention, just going around the same neighborhoods that I always go around. And I'm like, whoa, there's like a church on every block. How could I have not noticed that? And, um, you know, it's awareness and, it, and it's what you're trained on. I mean, Katie always tells me that I got an eye for cute girls and that I can always pick them out of a, of a crowded beach. Right, baby? Yeah, across an airport. Across an airport. There you go. <laughs> Some of my friends won't even notice. They'll be like, what? Uh, dude, did you see that girl? What? Uh, no. Nah. How could you miss it? She wanted you to look at her, dude. <laughs> She's dressed to impress. Right? You got to be at the airport. <laughs> Well, um, so the other topic uh, people have been, you know, really focused on, and I thought it was neat because I went back and for the outlet that I work for now, Inside the Ropes, you did an interview with Kenny McIntosh, and, and um, you talked about CM Punk. Obviously, he's coming in uh, collision on Saturday. Um, I thought your perspective on him was really, really in tune, and like, I, that's how I felt about it. Like, you mentioned that, like, he's got an ego, but everybody has an ego at that point, you know? And you have to, and to get to that level and to be that, in that kind of mindset, you need to almost have that kind of thing. And you weren't like disparaging him, like, hey, it's like a bad thing. It was more so like, hey, this is who he is. And like him coming in there, and you even mentioned how <laughs> back in the earlier day when like EC, when you got back from your suspension and everything, that he was like kind of like 
taking himself on as the locker room leader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some people have that in them, you know, that's, that's not in me. Um, yeah. You know, but yeah. Um, what did you, what do you kind of think about um, just him, his, his mentality overall? Do you think, even though they've had difficulty, do you think this, and you kind of mentioned this too in the interview, it's a little blown out of proportion in certain ways. Like a lot of the stuff that drama that the dirt sheets have been digging up and, you know, that's been getting aired out is kind of like, just like, okay, this is all surface stuff. But like when you're actually working behind the scenes, there's just a kind of, oh, maybe an overall different dynamic. I don't understand the question. Oh, so I'm kind of thinking like, yeah. So from like him as a person, like, you know, do you think all this is kind of going to work itself out in a lot of ways? for AEW or where, where would you kind of lay, lay on that? And I guess is kind of what I'm getting at. I don't see why not. I mean, the fans love him, you know, and always seem to want to see him and uh, see him punk. <laughs> so, and um, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I don't see why not unless there's some burned bridges that I don't know about, which usually, I've always heard that bridges are flame retardant in this business, and I find that to be true. Um, but I, I can't say that I really know him really well. You know what I mean? Like right. when you're at work, and I've explained this lots of times for me at least, and I'm it's probably like that with him too. You got a competitive vibe, you know. Uh, you have to, right. you know, you're a little bit more defensive. Way you're vibing way different than you are when you're chilling at your own house you know, with your family or whatever. So um, that's all I know is the guy at, at work and, you know, he's um, seems professional. The, um, the first time I remember really paying attention to, um, to him was when Paul started putting him over, Paul Heyman. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, and I guess this, I don't know if this is before this, it had to be before the suspension, I guess. I don't know. We were, we were, uh, we, we did an international tour and he was dating, he was dating, um, thank you. What's her name? Maria? Maria. Maria. Okay. Yeah. Pinellas? Yes. Um, Tess was dating, Kelly Kelly. Okay. And uh, they SmackDown and Raw were on different tours at the same time in the same countries, but they were split up into, you know, two different teams. And so uh, Kelly Kelly was on the the tour that CM Punk and I was on, and Tess was on the other one. And Tess was, from what I understand, uh, being, <laughs> being, uh, being a guy on the road at the same time, checking up on, on Kelly, like really hard and doing that through CM Punk. Like, I guess he was texting CM Punk trying to check up on her and you tell her this and you tell her that. And my understanding of it, um, is that, that after a little bit, he was like, um, CM, was like, uh, you know, fuck him. He can take care of his own, you know, relationship. I'm not in the middle of all this. 
And uh, Paul Heyman said that uh, Tess's response when uh, CM said whatever or quit responding in the way that he wanted him to, uh-huh. Paul said that Tess said, does he think I won't slap him? And Paul's response was, ooh, my money's on the tattooed kid. <laughs> a little more scrappy, it seems. That was the first time, you know, I was like, really? I was like, what, is he, is he a fighter or something? He goes, my money's on the tattooed kid. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's cool, because, uh, you know, when big guys are just used to people being intimidated because they're big and they're just bullies, you know, then... I always like it when someone stands up to one of them, or better yet, better yet when they kick their ass. When they know? kick your ass, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew uh, what's the the late referee's name, Brian Hildebrand. I remember him, uh, Mark Curtis in WCW. I remember him like taking somebody down, like and like everybody's or like I heard that story about Joey Styles too and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I just heard that told way different the other day than I thought it went down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought I'd heard it was just like a one punch done and over. And this one, who was talking about him like ducking? Oh, it was Shed, Chad uh, Gaspar telling oh, it. Really? The story was way different. He said that he that JBL threw the punch and he he ducked it and said, Not today, and went boom, 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 and, and all this. And I, I thought it was just like one one good punch to put him out. But either way, I love the story though. And I could never really get uh Joey Styles to really come out and talk about it because you know he's not a braggadocious kind of guy he's kind of yeah keeps tight to the vest kind of thing yeah 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 that's not something he's gonna brag about because uh it makes you so much cooler if you don't right you know? yeah you know and like let the let you know, what happened? I, I, I don't remember what happened <laughs> yeah you know? right that's the way to do it yeah what do you think uh knowing how punk works and stuff like that do you think you and him would compliment one another well in the ring yeah, I don't see why not. Yeah, I think, too, from a story standpoint, too, like his straight edge mentality, like you guys could go off of that really well. I think, right, too, that's know? true, too. Mm-hmm. That's I true, too, yeah. Something like that could really play well. Um, um, yeah, I could see that. I could see we could have, you know, for the, for the record, I respect um, straight edge. I think that's that's really cool to make a choice and commit in a discipline it might take if you are – ever tested, but whatever, whenever you want to commit yourself to something, there's a certain amount of respectability to that. You know, there's always excuses. I'm not saying when you commit yourself to join the Ku Klux Klan or anything, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a little bit of a difference. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, I'm a big, big fan of commitment. And, yeah. If you uh, commit to something that's in a positive fashion, that's. There's <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the only time, the only time I remember being in the ring, I think, is that December to dismember um, that first one. Or oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's the only time I remember us being in the – we definitely haven't had a one-on-one, but um, uh, it's possible there could have been another six-man or eight-man because sometimes those are a little more forgettable. But, um, right. yeah. No, yeah. I think you guys yeah, – definitely, even from a story or, you know – Chemistry in the ring, I think, would be pretty damn good. So, uh, nice. All right. So, uh, wrestler spotlight. We had a fun one last oh. week with Paul Heyman. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about Bill Alfonso again. Uh, we, we talked about him a little couple weeks ago, um, but uh, we'll touch upon him a little bit more here. When did you first meet Bill? 
Uh, was it ECW or was there another time where you guys crossed paths before that? I first met him in ECW. When I got there, he was managing Taz. Right. And then um, I guess Sabu stole him, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's correct. Yeah. So I didn't know him before that. Okay. Did you ever see him work as a referee before in like old footage or anything like that? I must have because of all the history I've seen and the matches that he was involved in. I probably saw him in a way where I didn't really necessarily notice the referee, like as a fan, because he's been in the business that long, you know. Mm-hmm. I well, mean, if I saw a Gigante match, then I probably saw Bill Alfonso work, you know. Right. Yeah. Elegante. Well, Elegante, that guy. <laughs> Uh, yeah good old giant gonzalez um so i don't know if this is true or not maybe he talked to you about this i only saw this on wikipedia so take it for what you will was that his first match that he refereed was between the sheik and somebody who who was the other person but the sheik was in his first match that he refereed back in like 1970 did he ever talk to you about that or was that i don't remember that no so that's not a definite no for me, though. He might have mentioned it, and I might have forgot. Okay. Yeah, because when I found that, I was like, wow, what a full circle kind of thing there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> kind of wow. Yeah. By the um, way, I saw him at um, – he was at the table next to me at the uh, RCW Con. So it was awesome to see him again, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No family. We're still family. You still want to look out for me. Uh, Van Dan, we need anything, Daddy? Yeah. I love his social media presence, man. I like him on the, on Twitter. That's why I get a kick every time I see it on there. So yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, man. So uh, he was awesome because he could get nuclear heat, and he especially had that when he first went to ECW and stuff. Would you say, from his perspective, and we I talked about how he got on me like back in the day when I was a kid watching. But would you say, from that perspective, he was one of the biggest heels like ECW had at the time? Do you think, or at least elevated a lot of you guys to that point? Mm, I mean, I want to put him over, but um, one of the the biggest heels, like uh, I'm trying to think of who would, who got really good heel reaction because heels were so over, you know? What they I mean? were so over, right? Yeah. Hmm. Especially in ECW. I mean, the outsiders were the heels, like when Lawler showed up or Cornette, you know, because yes. because they had so much respect for the. Uh, ECW guys, uh, hmm, who did they heal? Right. Maybe. I mean, did they heal him? (laughs) He he definitely had heat, you know, uh, but it was a, um, I guess, you know, the whistle got a lot of heat too, you know, legitimate legitimate heat. Like people, people that hate that really hated that. Like it would bother them a lot. Like, oh, (laughs) yeah. um, One one story that um <laughs> that I'd like to share about Fonzie when I was just getting to know him and was still underneath Sabu's wing and um saying Fonzie was in the click, but he would move around also to different cliques, you know, and he you know, he wasn't he didn't travel with us usually. Not when Sabu had the Winnebago anyway. But um I remember, like, sometimes he would have uh, pills and he would, <laughs> he would, he would buy uh, like pain pills and then sell them um, at, a, at, a, at an extorting rate um, and sell them. To, I think it was uh, Big Dick Dudley 
Um, and then he would say, um, <laughs> cause he would get it something for like $4 and maybe sell it for, I don't know, uh, $20 or something. And, and then he would, he'd say, but, but, you know, he, you know, I, I'm charging him a lot. Yeah. But at least I'm like keeping it in the family. So he's not getting ripped off by someone on the outside. Right. Like, <laughs> and that really made sense. To him. At least you're paying me and not some Yahoo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> at least you're being ripped off uh, from the family. So from somebody that loves you. Man, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it might go to a beer that he might buy back for you sometime. Right, it, it, you know, he could just be paying it for you. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, did Paul feel you needed somebody to do a majority of the talking for promos at the time, or did it just kind of seem like a fit for you? Like, I don't, I don't think I noticed at the time, but he he must have. You know, mm-hmm. I sucked at promos uh, when I had to first start doing them. I would avoid the promo room at all costs. I just, I hated it. I just wanted to wrestle. And uh, it took a long time and many invites from Paul till we started working that out. And you probably know that ECW would cut their promos like way after the show ended at midnight. Yeah. So, you know, say two o'clock if you're lucky. Um, And then, People that were in there, you know, that really sounded convincing and had motivations to say what they were saying. You know, they're working with this guy and they wanted to tell him they're pissed that they screwed him over or whatever. You know, I was like, I don't really feel like I had any of that. And, you know, I didn't feel like I could be convincing or anything. So I'm sure Fonzie was brought in as a mouthpiece. And then um, that probably uh, brought me out of my shell more just being able to. For sure it did. Just being able to bounce off of him and off of Sabu and, uh, you know, getting my message across, but having their contrasting styles to, were, it was pretty easy to, to reflect and bounce off of and be back to me, you know? Right. And like you, the different personalities and like the odd bell- bedfellows kind of like dynamic, I thought. <laughs> yeah. Really, yeah. You know, really well for it. Um, so, so he did get heat, like like Fonzie with the crowds and stuff like that. Did any fans ever kind of like go after him or anything like that that you could remember, or that was like, oh shit, he's really like amping these guys the ECW arena up a little too much or anything to that effect? Not the not that I can remember. No, yeah. nothing stands out like that. All right, well, um, oh, so you didn't travel with them, but how was he on the road? Kind of when you did travel with him, was he pretty good? Did you guys like everything go? pretty copacetic for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, um, was a, a manager at heart, you know, like 24 seven. So he would, uh, he would try He'd get to the hotel first, usually if he traveled or he would call ahead or whatever and try to make sure that me and Sabu had, uh, good rooms. At least he would tell us that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I I made sure you got like the best rooms, man. Man, you guys are both uh, got a view and this and that, and and um, you know a lot of that stuff uh, made me laugh because he was really just our manager on on camera, but he liked his position and, and appreciated his job and realized that the more we liked working with him, the the better that was going to be for him too. And we were all just like family, you know. And he still appreciates it, you know. He still, you know, will. Uh, have pictures of of me with him at the table that he'll show me. He'd be like, I hope you don't mind, Van Dam. I said, you know, I'm like, dude, I, here, I don't mind. And yeah. I'll autograph, I autograph it, you know. And 
you know, he's, uh, he's always going to be family. Oh, no doubt about it, man. And that's what's got That's what's got to be full and good about seeing him too. Like at these cons and stuff like that is like, just kind of, Hey, there's Fonzie. And it's like still that good dynamic going. For um, sure. Did he ever help you like kind of with ideas and, and working matches in certain aspects of things, or was that kind of more, he was there to support and then you just kind of almost like a promo in a way where you guys would bounce off one another. Did he kind of give you some good input on when it comes um, to It wasn't his normal position to do, but it wasn't, it wouldn't be like the strangest thing ever. You know, I think, uh, uh, I think the last time maybe that I worked with him, he might've said, damn, I got this idea. And like, you know, and, uh, you know, that makes it easier for me, you know, like, let me, uh, let me see what you got and see if it's doable or whatever. But, um, he, he would, um, he'd be involved and, uh, and he liked to uh, have himself involved, of course, you know what I mean? And we always uh, worked him in, uh, remember that, uh, we did that. <laughs> he went from holding the chair over a fallen opponent in the corner's face to, sitting on the top rope in the corner and doing a back bend and holding the chair that way. I remember that. Yeah. He always loved that stuff. Like the more he could uh, get in involved <laughs> in the match. Yeah. Oh man, that's good shit. Um, yeah. Here's a cool question too. When you went to WWE, did you ever try to get him like in there with you as a manager or in some sort of involvement or did that ever kind of get talked about or anything? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, my way of doing that would be to uh, to pitch it to Paul and uh -huh. to ask Paul, you know, can you know what can we do, you know? And Paul would always, you know, with something like that, he'd usually, well, we need to do this first or or whatever. And he would he would usually kind of act like that's like um, on his agenda anyway. Um, uh, I I think. You know, maybe Fonzie might have uh, burned a bridge with the Hatners at one time. I oh. and that, that that hurt him at least for a long, long time. Um, I don't know if they would have considered hiring him back after that or not. He used to tell me he didn't think that they would. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah I, I didn't even think about that. That's that's interesting. Um, yeah, well, cool. If you had to summarize like your friendship with Fonzie. And what he meant to you in your career, how, how would you kind of do it, would you think? What would be a good way to kind of tip the cap to him, so to speak, I guess? Mm, well, for me, he was my uh, my Grand Wizard or Eddie Creechman to the Sheik. Um, and, uh, and then that guy was replaced by, um, who's the guy that replaced him? Um, New York Raymond, I think he had different. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna go with that guy, the Grand Wizard. You know, it was uh, he's a uh, a manager that was very important. He wasn't just there because he was pretty. Right. <laughs> so, so I always enjoy working with him, and I enjoy uh, what we represent together. You know, as as a team and with Sabu. Um, and, you know, depending on how, how wide the picture is, you know, just when the ECW guys get to stand together and do anything, you know, bring in Tommy, bring in Sandman. It's, it's always awesome because, uh, we're all, we're all like a, a special kind of family that we have a special kind of bond. Gary Wolf was there as well. Now that oh, I think yeah. mm -hmm. so popping in my head, like thinking about, you know, as far as like looking down the tables, I saw Butterbean. Oh shit! No shit. 
Yeah. He thinned up. Didn't he thin up? Nia Jax. You saw Nia Jax? I don't yeah. think I saw her. Katie's. Oh, so Nia is so nice. She's one of the nicest people yeah. I've ever met, like in the business, I think. Very approachable. Who, baby? Enzo. Enzo was there. Oh, yeah. Nice, never nice. Seen him. Or maybe I saw him across the way, but I didn't get to talk to him. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, Fonzie is. Uh, um, He's, you know, I, I would, I would love it uh, always to have him, uh, have him at my side. You know, it's not always to uh, get somebody to want to uh, book uh, someone else and fly them in and pay them uh, when they already got to pay an RVD. You know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, to kind of see what he's he's done and how uh how much of a kind of influence he had with these because i mean to your point like it was hard to be a heel kind of in ecw because there was so many aspects that like oh man you're giving me a lot of as a fan you're giving us a lot of different stuff to like whoa this is new shit to me and everything like that so it's like these personalities it's kind of hard to be like okay this is a so you have to kind of yeah with fonzie the whistle all that stuff man and when fonzie had that match with beulah yes like that everyone loved that match so much and loved what he put into it because he's not a wrestler and i guess she wasn't either i got you know but uh both of them yeah and and, and but he, i just remember he was bleeding like so much that 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 meant a lot for the fans and for the match that he literally you know was gave his blood sweat and tears and so after that how, how are they gonna hate him right you know <laughs> so, yeah even you know even with him he can get heat blowing the whistle in someone's ear but outside of that i think they're gonna kind of respect him and love him oh no doubt about it yeah. I mean, especially nowadays too it's just like you look back at the how great those managers were and i even saw 1997 he was the pwi manager of the year so like well deserved for sure you know cool yeah and, all right so it is time for a Rob Randam match of the week. And this one is a little more random this week. Uh, so the idea I kind of had when I was watching this is we talked about your favorite singlets and stuff. So my idea was I will show you a screenshot of the singlet you wear, and maybe you can guess what match this might be. Okay. Let's see if we can. I, now, this might be a little tough because I think you you this is one of your most popular ones. So, uh Take a look just by judging by the screenshot. We won't make it long, but where do you think this was here? I think that is, uh, was that what I wore on the Monday Night Raw? Um, it is. So that's why this, It's it definitely is that. But this was a different one. Is this that barely legal with yes, Lance Storm? Barely legal. And you know what? I The thing about that outfit, the, the legs roll up on it. Yeah, they were. Hot. I noticed that at the end of the match too. <laughs> a lot of them do that. Eventually, I would have like an extra elastic band put in there, but that was always an issue. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you went up against Lance Storm, but obviously this is your first, the ECW's first pay per view. Excuse me, and uh, my outfit looks brand new, by the way. It was, was it, really? it was bright looking. Yeah, my outfits never. They don't stay bright after you wash them like one time. Yeah. Uh, you were saying like sometimes uh, the guy, is it Joel? Is that his name that does your, your Joel. 
Yeah. Okay. That that does your stuff. He, uh, you were saying that sometimes that like he would call you and you know ah, that kind of didn't work out or something like that. So. Sometimes, but yeah, but it was a learning process, and and the, the artwork got better and better, and he learned you know how to heat set it and let it dry so it would stay the right way. And plus, I had to get a special material too because uh, I think at first maybe there's too much lycra, and then it ended up being like a cotton nylon mix 50 50 i believe and even that was important because the cotton stokes in and holds the uh, the paint so there was a lot that we had to uh learn about it that's uh joe holland has done uh, all of my outfits um since outfit number one no way that's wild yeah. and he still does it too he still does it to this day and stuff? yeah he's done yeah he's done uh um he's done my last my last couple which I don't even know if I've worn the last one yet, but yeah, he's, he says, let me know when uh, when you're ready for another one. That's awesome. Jeez. Yeah. How often nowadays do you get a new singlet made? Uh, once or twice a year. Okay, yeah. Cool. Well, so this match was originally supposed to be Chris Candido. Obviously, he Chris was out with an injury, cut a promo uh, before that. Um, we touched upon this a little bit last week. You were famously not booked on Bear Legal, and leading up to it, Paul led you to believe that you would be booked on it at some point. Or when did you find out for sure that you weren't going to be on it? I don't recall that. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember when I knew that. Well, uh, how long before the show when it started did you kind of start hearing rumblings? Hey, you are going to be on this show. I don't remember that either. Unfortunately, unfortunately, but. I think I think that before I was going to be booked on it, when I still was going to not be on it, I think that's when WCW came to the town I was in, in Savannah. And I went down to the Civic Center, said hi to Louis Spicoli. He's getting a new action figure, by the way. That's Did really he cool. really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know who the company name is, but uh, his sister Tina sent me this link. Sweet. Um, and also, I had a couple other friends there, too. Um, who else would I have gone to? Anyway, I think I talked about this. Yeah, you uh, talked about last week. It was the other person was, oh, who was it? Yeah, you mentioned another. Scotty Riggs. Scotty yeah, Riggs. How was it, Scotty Riggs? He looks great, by the way. Did you see him on social media? Yeah, yeah. Trading yeah. and stuff. Yeah, he... Uh, He's, he's, he's not unless he looked great, but, um, he looked really not that great, not that long ago. So he's, so he's really worked hard and that's awesome. That's it. was, it was really cool to see. Yeah. He sends me, he sends me, um, a video every day of, uh, the operating board, the keyboard, whatever the hell you want to call it on the treadmill when he's finishing his hour of, uh, of cardia. (laughs) I get that sent to me every day, the uh, 59, uh, you know, 57, 58, 59, nice. 60. Yeah. So he's working his ass off. That's uh, good and, and, but Eric Bischoff famously uh, offered me a job at that night when I was there visiting my friends. Said, Debbie, you know, I'd love to have you here. I see you making this much for a three-year deal, escalating this much and then this much, you know, boom, boom. If you're interested, you know, give me a call. And um, I I think that that was before Paul decided to throw me on the pay-per-view. That's the way I remember it anyway. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, that kind of makes sense too, of how it would line up like that too. Um, Although but, if, if the reason I got thrown on was because Candido was injured, then I, that couldn't have, you know, been uh, factored in with the timing. You know what I mean? Like if that happened, that happened either way. And Chris wasn't going to be able to wrestle. Right. I'm just saying, yeah, I'm just saying it's, um, you know, don't know for sure that that's the reason that Paul put me on the pay-per-view, but probably. Probably, yeah, yeah. Well, what was, I mean, obviously barely legal, first ECW pay-per-view, Philly, ECW arena. Like, what was what was the atmosphere that night in the arena for, like, you guys and just kind of being this such a big moment for ECW in general? It was really good. Uh, it, was, it was awesome. You know, the crowd was hot, like uh, they always were. But, you know, they were stoked to be doing a pay-per-view. They were stoked with the uh, angle, the real-life angle that I was involved in because that crowd was um, the smart marks that would be on the pulse of everything that's happening and get all the dirt sheet reports and however they got them. And, and then um, that's what made them uh, so different. It's such a different crowd to entertain as well because they weren't as simple. They were a little bit more advanced, perspectively, from almost every perspective. And uh, and so because of that, um, they were super stoked. And uh, they all thought for sure that I was going to be leaving because that's what everybody does. Right, right. And the, the, to your point, they were like chanting sellout. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, too. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was awesome. You know, trying to get heat, like, like I was trying to, you know, and getting that response was, was really cool. All of a sudden I felt uh, a lot more comfortable that um, I could speak my mind, you know what I mean? And, and become more myself. And, and, and that was just, it was a really good feeling because uh, like I said before, I didn't even want to, not that long before that, I didn't even want to do a promo. I didn't want to talk on the mic. I, you know, I just wanted to wrestle uh, because I couldn't talk. I didn't, I didn't know how. And then, um, you know, after that night, I was kind of finding my, my place on the mic for sure, where um, I didn't have to fake it. Cause I had something to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and to, like, I was going to mention that too. It's like, you were saying like how you weren't feeling like early on, you weren't confident in doing the, the promo, but like this promo that you cut, like at the end of this, after the match was said, and done, I was like, damn, this is like good RVD. Like, stuff right here going on like the, the kind of attitude like to your point how you said like you know uh how w wanted you to get angry and show anger and stuff like that this exemplifies that you didn't need to show that kind of stuff it's, okay i'm already hooked on you know i want to see rvd wrestle more because of the attitude he already has you know so i, I yeah and so at this point in time i think you're really feeling it <laughs> so, yeah no doubt about yeah. it yeah and uh probably before I went out there, I, I, I had, uh, yeah, definitely. You know, I already knew that we were planning on doing the thing with WWE and raw. And so having all that in my mind also gave me a lot of confidence. Cause I was out there like, you know, Hey, you can believe it or not, but y'all are going to be watching this right here. Like, <laughs> I can't even tell you guys how, how, Damn, how Mr. Monday Night I am. <laughs> it, was, it was a shoot, you know, it was a shoot. Like, they all thought I was going to go to WCW. Nobody had a clue. Well, and that's that, what you said, too, is like, I be, you're like, I didn't do it. 
for certain things, you're like, I did it for money and I did it because I know that I'm going to make more money somewhere else than here. <laughs> and so it was, that was a way to do it. Like if you want to get, fun. yeah, it's a fun way to do business. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like, a, it didn't take like story writers. Uh, I mean, it was just, I don't know. It's just the best stuff is always more organic, you know, and uh, with ECW, it was always go with the truth. You know, if you got arrested for beating your wife, the fans already know. Oh, you wear that shit. The ring, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now, what are your specific memories of the match itself? Did, like anything really stand out to you that was like, oh, that was cool. And like uh, maybe something to use in your repertoire later on that you're like, oh, I like that. I, there's some stuff that stood out to me for sure. I, I don't think so. You know, I rem I I've seen like some replayed clips on Twitter or whatever on social media, so I know I can think of like some of those that I've seen, like a really weak chair shot, maybe. I think, I think that was Lance that had a little bit. He pulled back a little bit when he hit you, I would think. But uh, and the crowd booed. Yes, they booed yeah. because he did it twice. And that's yeah, he did it twice, and the even the second time wasn't that good. But I don't remember from from the match though, really. Okay, so a cool thing that you did was your chair spot that you had. Um, I thought you were gonna do something else with it, but you grabbed a hold of it, and you literally it was just like Sabu. You just tossed the chair and just pit lance spot on. It was like a really good spot, like just in the pie center face. of the ring. Yes, a pie face. Yeah, the pie face. It was good stuff, and then. I believe you did something almost, it looked like you were doing your split-legged moonsault, but then you turned it into like a spinning leg drop, which I like a lot too. Um, cool. And then your five-star frog splash was super high in that one. <laughs> it was really high. I, was, I even audibly said, holy shit, when I was watching it. <laughs> I, I miss those steel cables. I yeah. really That's always my preferred. You'd be amazed at, at the percentage of the rings on the indie circuit or outside of WWE even, how, how much of the rings are the, are, are the shits? Yeah. And like wrestlers don't even seem to notice. It seems to be the standard, you know, and I had to really bring my standards down really low. And I'm not just talking about when I went through the middle of the ring in Africa, you know, and uh, but just in general, it's like, really? Like, this is what the guys are working with all night? Because with W or with ECW, that was my favorite ring. And, you know, you have to have the double frame underneath or else when you go to tighten the ropes, uh, there's no stabilization. The poles are going to come in and the ropes are going to loosen and people don't realize that. I think they can crisscross it with a cable underneath. That's not enough. You have to have a solid double frame. And uh, anyway, that was the stiffest and my favorite um, of the rings that I've been in like throughout, throughout my career. I sold them the first ring, by the way. Really? Yeah, I, I couldn't have been their first ring. But, um, yeah, now that I think about it, I had a ring when I lived in Augusta, Georgia, and it was an old NWA ring. Wow. It, wow. Like, boom. I, I'm just, like, opening up this memory. Like, I can't remember. I remember there was a local guy there that I bought it from that I don't know if he was a jobber with or something with NWA, but I had the ring. Where would I have had it in Augusta? I don't know, but I sold it to Paul, and then uh, uh, and it was an eighteen by eighteen. It was it was my favorite ring, and then uh, eventually they moved that one to the school, so I was told and replaced it with one or built one or whatever that was exactly like it. Um, 
wow, I totally forgot about that. Wow. But, so yeah. you, kind of the, you mentioned too how you like the 18 by 18 last week, right? And so. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they're too small and I can't even get like a roll in. And uh, um, also if they're too big, you know, then uh, sometimes that's harder when they're really big and they have nylon ropes. Sometimes it's hard to keep uh, keep the ropes tight. You know, it's just I prefer the 18, but, it, you know, it, it's amazing. Like when you go from 18 to 20, how you can how you can just do it without even the two feet really making it a problem you know it's easy to adjust to you know with a 16 it's like you can adjust to it as well but either way that one feels like you're really giving up a lot and compromising uh, especially if you want to jump and fly around like i do right oh man yeah 16. i think that would be a little bit of an i don't know anything in regards to that but i could only imagine how that might be a little bit of an adjustment <laughs> thinking of uh, uh that pie face you were talking about to lance storm he Jarred a memory of uh, um, a match with Pitbull Anthony, and uh, this is how I would describe the competitive state of mind. Even though we're friends and we're family, or whatever, we're also ready to fight if a line is crossed or something. You know what I mean? Or, <laughs> or if we feel we feel like there's, you know, it's, it's like a competitive thing that makes us vibrate in a different way. That um, that I'm glad I'm able to shed off. But I remember. Um, trying that with uh, Pitbull Anthony, but uh, I had to learn first, I guess, how to how to throw the chair and not let it spin. Mm -hmm. and, and threw Anthony into the corner, and I threw the chair at him, and it spun uh, ninety degrees, and it hit him like this. Like that? Oh no! And it busted him open. And uh, after the match, when we were talking, you know, I was like. Um, you know, dude, yeah, sorry about, you know, man, I'm sorry about that chair. And he said, oh, that's cool. As long as you didn't do it on purpose. You didn't, did you? <laughs> <laughs> and he's not the only one to say that to me. A lot of people, I mean, that's a, that's a, like a normal response. You know, they'll, they'll say, you know, you didn't do it on purpose. You didn't, did you? Right. <laughs> cool then. We're cool then. You know? <laughs> but they got, they got to check first, you know, like. Right, yeah. <laughs> Just feel the waters, testing the waters out. Yeah. Um, so like, do, do you remember after you cut that promo, was there any, like, did anybody, uh, give you any feedback in the back? Like, did Paul say anything, anything that you remember about like, Hey, that was some good shit or wow. I can't believe you kind of said that or anything. Uh, too long ago. I too long ago. I get it. I get it. So where would you kind of rank this as far as like one of your, was it one of your favorite ECW pay-per-view matches or where would you put that on the line of things? I thought seeing it, it was only a 10 minute match. But, like, you and Lance really complimented one another, well, I thought. Well, like I said, I don't remember a lot of the match, so I don't know if I would say it was one of my favorite matches. It was definitely uh, pivotal yeah. to, uh, to my career um, because of the direction uh, that, that that I went with it. You know, I took that turn right there. Um, uh, and Lance is always, you know, a great worker, so I'm sure the match was, uh, was really good. Dude, he did a spot on there, too where he leaped up on the top rope and then he just bounced back with the back elbow. And I was like, yeah, he's all the time. That was, yeah. a, you know, that was one of his every match. That was, a, that was a really good, I'm like, like yeah. I forgot how athletic Lance was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we roomed together, which was, which is a strange, uh, <coughs> bedfellow, as you said earlier. Right. <laughs> is that what you said? Yeah. Odd bedfellows. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like in, uh, 
I guess it was 97, 96, whatever. Um, when I first was going to ECW, he would, Paul would book us at the travel lodge, uh, two to a room. And that was, that was it, the stage that I was at of my career where sometimes that would happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hence I roomed with iron Sheik. We talked about that last, last week. Um, and, uh, Lance and I roomed, I think it might've been my first night in, or maybe it was both our first nights in, or maybe it was his, I don't know. It seems like, seems like it was my first night. I don't know. But I, but I remember thinking, um, you know, like, well, like, I don't know what's extreme about Lance. Cause he just seemed like so clean cut and everything. Uh, and then I learned a lot about how the crowd reacted to all of us being extreme in our, in our own way. You know what I mean? And he was, uh, uh, he was uh, an extremely talented uh, athlete, and uh, and he could get some heat too, you know. Yeah. And he was so serious. I, I love to hear him say, uh, you know, let me. What do he say? Can I be serious? Like serious for a minute. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, because he was like that. For a minute. <laughs> he was like that a lot, you know, backstage too. Like normally, normally serious, you know, like not not one of the first guys to laugh at, at silliness for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he does good work up in Calgary training too. A lot of students I know, like there's a, there's a, been a good amount of talent that's come out of his school that he used to run. So yeah, yeah, I understand that to be true. Uh, can't remember who now, but oh, he trained Taya. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, that's right. Oh, I love Taya too. She's been doing great work too. Holy smokes! Talk about a personality. She's got one. Like oh man, her ability to cut a promo is good stuff too. She's very underrated, I think. So. Yeah, we uh, just hung out with her and uh, Jomo last week at a pool party here in Vegas at um, the Wet Republic or whatever. They were out here for her friend's uh, bridal party. No, not the whole, no, the whole wedding, wedding party. The whole wedding party. The whole yeah. wedding party, not just the bride. But uh, so that was cool to see them. John looks awesome, like always. He looks like he just trains all day. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Now. Yeah. Did you see his boxing match? Did you see? No, I didn't see the match. We talked about it, and I saw the uh, the posts about it and stuff. And he talked about possibly having another fight. Um, you know, he was uh, negotiating with them at that at that time. He so. looked good, man. <laughs> I was like, damn, like, because I mean, you see all the parkour and stuff that he does, and his athleticism, and then his his ability to box is just that's pretty damn good too. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's yeah, he's really like on a a different level. That's he's one of the guys like it amazes me that fans will say that they think that I'm the most athletically gifted. And that really has a lot to do with uh, uh, the image that, that I put out there, you know, um, because that guy literally learned how to add a twist to his own twist to everything, you know, that I've done. And he can walk on his hands and probably walk climb the top rope on his hands, you know, and then flip back and, and hits you. And, uh, he's like a, he's like a, a real live video game character. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did he tell you anything that, that maybe he's learned from you or certain things like that he's picked up from you? Um, I don't know if we've had that conversation or not. I don't know. I've, I've known him for quite a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, I don't, I don't know. We used to both uh, live in live in LA, and I would sometimes hook up. And I worked him uh, quite a, quite a, 
quite a lot too, you know. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. Someone like someone like Channing Decker, uh, he hurt his ankle, so he'll up he'll up Channing. Get yes, back I saw to- that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he still still has that smile. Um, what was I gonna say about him? He, um, damn, I was gonna compare him to um, who we were just talking Del about. Morrison? Yeah. Um, Damn, I forgot what I was gonna say now because I was, I, and I can just only think of his smile. I picture, I picture, yeah, good that, that his smile that he does. Uh, um, oh, I was gonna, yeah, thank you. I don't know if Jomo has uh, talked to me about me inspiring his moves. I mean, it's kind of there for you to see. He's doing a spilling moonsault with yeah. a twist on it and stuff like that but um when it whenever whenever, whenever i wrestle uh, channing uh man he does all of my moves you know on on me i'm sure he'd be flattered if i did his moves if i knew him but, uh, <laughs> but it's like dude like what's left for what's left for me bro right <laughs> you've played open a little bit <laughs> all right so um time for a little bit of ask rvd what no, but hopefully we'll find out soon. We'll find oh, go ahead. That was that was for Channing. <laughs> yeah, it was cool to see you guys work together because I didn't know you guys worked that you know before that in that. That show. was our third match. Yeah, uh, your third match together and stuff like that. So that's pretty neat yeah. that uh, he's kind of. How long has he been in the business, by the way? Um, I don't know exactly. He came. He came. Sabu recommended. He promotes. Greek town wrestling up in Canada. He's the um, the man uh, behind that and helps uh, and works with some other Canadian promotions and uh, great self promoter and um, and also uh, you know he's 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 got everything going with the promotion there and merchandise and bringing people in and coordinating everything. So that really that really takes a lot. And uh, the Greek town wrestling has been. Uh, bringing in some pretty big stars. And the first time that uh, before I went there, Sabu said, uh, yeah, he's a good, he's a good kid. And uh, he explained him a little to me and said that Sabu had gone in there and, uh, and wrestled with him. And, uh, and so that led to our first match, which led to the second, which, which led to the third. And uh, um, the, what's cool is the first one was his. And then the second and the third were from other promotions so it's like we're taking our our little uh angle here around around yeah uh, storming. Cool. <laughs> yeah um all right so ask rvd i tried to pick from uh certain outlet different ones so i got a couple from youtube and a couple from twitter we'll start with this one can't get right on youtube said oh yeah how about the story behind you getting the pantera theme like uh walk uh what was that a you decision or did that kind of come with like was paul suggested that how did that kind of come about for you that was my decision when i first came to ecw i used a song that i got from iwf in orlando their music guy played joe satriani lords of karma and that was all i had for ring music and so i came there playing that but as soon as I started like feeling the vibe of ECW, and that's the first time I've been exposed to all this like white zombie and and all this these adult concert going 
people filling the venue instead of kids and country folk. And, <laughs> and as I was soaking all that in, um, I realized, you know, I didn't like my song and I, and I wanted to change it. And there was a commercial that was playing on the radio for uh, a tour where White Zombie and Pantera were um, touring together. And then, you know, I heard that, I heard that music on the commercial and um, the, the respect uh, riff, I think you call it. And I was doing this uh, respect angle with Sabu. And so, you know, that was the universe talking to me. I thought it was perfect because um, I didn't shake Sabu's hand after I beat him. And if I remember right, at least this is the way I remember it. I think I was the first one to beat Sabu in a long, long time. And I think that gave me some heat um, with Taz because Taz and Sabu had been building up, building up and never actually locked horns and, and actually worked each other. And then when I came along, all of a sudden I'm in the mix there. And while Sabu and I are wrestling each other, I think, you know, Taz was, was feeling like maybe he was sidestepped, but then probably hoping that, that over in the big picture, it was still going to be about that, which I think it was, if I remember right, I think, you know, he would come in and, Somehow it was all, you know, kind of jarbled, but I, I, think, I think when I beat Sabu, I think, you know, that I was the first to do it and um, maybe ever, I don't know, but because I was Sabu's boy, you know, he would have, he would have done that uh, for me and he would have thought that was the right business and, and whatever, but that's kind of uh, the way that I remember that. And after the match, after the match, um, everybody was uh, cheering um, and, um, Sabu puts his hand out and he said, yeah, good job. And I was like, Phew. I went to shake his hand and he goes, don't shake my hand. And I was just, I remember just in half a second, like my heart stopped because I was just like, oh my God, they're going to hate me. You know what I mean? And I, I, I didn't know that that's, you know, it was, it wasn't like, it was just on the moment, you know what I mean? And it was like, they were cheering me and stuff. They were cheering us both. And I liked that because I was always a baby face, you know? Right. Uh, and then I was like, oh my God. And he goes, go ahead, go shake my hand and don't shake it as I'm going towards it. And so I just like, you and then they were like, boo. And I, and I didn't, that didn't feel good, even though it was awesome. <laughs> you know, it was awesome. Oh, it was awesome business, but I I did not like the hate. That took a minute to adjust. <laughs> you know, well, you expected one thing, and then you got another. You know, because initially, like you're like, all right, I'm gonna it's gonna end like this, and then he's like, don't shake my hand. So you're uh -huh. like, <laughs> it completely like blindsided you in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, and then it was like you know I showed him no respect, and that was uh, where. Uh, it led to a respect match where the loser was going to have to shake the winner's hand or some shit. And I heard that, that riff with uh, Pantera on the commercial for the white zombie uh, appearance coming up. And I went to Paul with that and I was like, Hey, uh, can I change my music? And he was like, if you want to. And, uh, and I told him what I wanted to be and stuff. And I just remember he was just like, he didn't, he didn't say me either way. Like he wasn't like, great. I love it. Not at all. He was very indifferent. He was just like, 
are you sure about this? And I think, like, at least how I took that, I thought that he meant maybe that he didn't want me to keep changing it every week or something like that. That's how I took it to me. And I was just like, yeah, you know, boom, do it. (laughs) And he said, he said, cool. I tell you what, it is. I mean, what an iconic theme, too, that is. Holy smokes nowadays. So, damn, dude. Uh, Okay, Ash10Shoe on Twitter. Ash10Shoe. And I think you know this. I think you know this, but um, when I'm uh, booked to wrestle somewhere and then the promoter asks me which song do I want to play, One of a Kind or Walk by Pantera, um, I always say, dude, you know your crowd, you know, because you brought me in, you sold the tickets to these fans, these are your people. Which one would they rather hear? Is it more of a ECW crowd or more of a WWE crowd? And I always leave that up to them. Um, and, uh, you know, when it's my turn and then uh, all of a sudden the music hits and it's walk, I'm like, yes. <laughs> but I do also feel like that with one of a kind. Though. I'm happy to hear either song. I like them both. And I know both of them pop the crowd. Oh, absolutely. Like both of them, like, you know, when you left from from ECW to go to WWE, it was like, oh man, he's not going to have walk anymore. But it, you know, one of a kind complimented you super well too. So, and hey, Pittsburgh, we got Pantera when you came out. So. Okay, and and you know, after a while, I guess because we were doing TV and or pay per view, but Paul paid Kilgore to cover that, and then we were using the Kilgore version. So in WWE, uh, I asked Shano. You know, we we own the Kilgore version. You know, Paul bought it or whatever. Can we can we use that? And um, and he said, uh, bring it to me next week. And I brought it to him. But he said, uh, what do you think about this? And it was um, breaking one of yeah. a kind. And um, I, you know, I really wanted to use walks, so I wasn't as open because I wasn't ready for him to not listen to it which maybe he did on his own time. I don't know, but he told me to bring it in. And so now I'm thinking like these, that his mind's already made up or whatever. And I thought that it was just a song that they liked that they had to attach to somebody. But when I made this music video with the guys, they told me that they actually wrote that song for me, you know? And so I was like, Oh, okay. Well that makes me like the song a lot better. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, let's go with that one. (laughs) (laughs) But it was, I mean, it felt a lot more like, what do you think, what do you think about this one? You know, like, I want to go with this. Like, it, it felt, I, I wasn't like pushed into it, but but I felt, you know, I guess maybe I felt like they weren't considering the other one or, or maybe there was a reason we couldn't use the Kilgore version. Maybe, I have no idea, but um, I didn't think, you know, that that saying no was like a real smart option at the time anyway. Right, yeah. <laughs> But but anyway, um, you know, it, people love it and it's cool because uh, hey, I they even these guys even named the podcast after the one of a kind. Oh, that's right. <laughs> where did I come up? Where did we come up with that one? Huh? <laughs> I don't right. remember. Like like I don't until like I don't know. Was I called one of a kind before the song? I mean, I, like Jr. would call that. Was that before the I song? I don't think I heard about one of a kind until WWE. You know, I can't remember. I, I would imagine not because. Yeah. 
that almost does seem like a JR thing where he would say it and then it kind of catches on, you know. And then, but I can also see Joey Styles coming up with that as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Fans, let us know let below. Let us know in the comments. Dude, I can imagine Joey Styles though saying RVD, he certainly is one of a kind. Yeah. But I don't remember capitalizing on it or did I have a t-shirt that was one of a kind in ECW? I don't I can't remember. Yeah, that's tough. Well, well somebody will know. I told you I'm a little tired uh today anyway, because we just got in uh Katie and I like at one in the morning from uh from Florida and after the Jacksonville uh RCW con we hung out and visited family because we have a, a bunch of family down there and so we got back late last night and so uh the day after uh travel like that especially if this is a different time zone my brain is usually not functioning at 100 percent, so um, I don't give myself too much business to do on the first day, but being that it is Friday, I had to get some stuff done. Otherwise, I had to wait the weekend. But right, and you want to yeah. kind of have the weekend a little, you know. Yes, yeah, so I feel like this is the third time I've had to tell you I don't remember. That's so. all right. <laughs> well, hey, let's uh, let's get you out of here then. How about let's? I mean, let's do it. Let's uh, go with the, the RVDology here. We'll save the Ask RVDs for for next time. So. Mm-hmm. We don't have to save anything. If you got, do you got questions to you're gonna do? Oh, so I, I got, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to say. Oh no, hey, I know that for sure. I was I just, just, I was just trying to. I, feel, uh, I know how I feel when I get out. I'm gonna have an excuse for not remembering shit, you know. But no, that's okay. I, I really don't remember one of a kind. I'm almost positive I can hear that coming out of Joey Styles' lips, but I don't know if, if it was like capitalized on. But I remember that it was ECW then I learned how different I was from everybody. And so I don't know. It became, I mean, it super became prominent in, you know, WWE. So, but yeah, for to that point, like, Hey, Joey Stiles, he's, he said a lot of different stuff. So it was, you know, it maybe, I can, maybe I can look at my outfits and figure it out. Oh yeah. That's I do remember Joe Holland putting one of a kind on the tiger striped, but was that the second tiger? Because the first tiger striped was a heat wave uh, with the uh, Sabu and I wrestled um, Hayazuka and um, Hayabusa and uh, Sajaki. And uh, that was the tiger striped offer that everybody loves. Yes. We also redid that. One has a skull. The one has a skull in the middle, which I think, was that the heat wave one? One of them says one of a kind on the back. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to know. I'm going to figure that out. We'll do some dig- you know who I bet knows is uh, producer Chris. I bet you he knows. So, he knows everything. He's You're right. all that stuff. That's true. That's a, he's, a, he's a good reference guy. Yes. <laughs> all right. Here's a, here's a good question we'll, we'll go on out with before our videology. This is what I was cu- going to ki- kind of tie it back to uh, earlier, how we were saying we're like, Censorship and certain things like that. Steve Nine on Twitter, he asks, how do you think old school ECW would have handled today's cancel culture and how much better would society be today if the real ECW is still around? I don't know how much it would affect the society, but what where do you kind of feel about that? Like old could even old school ECW really survive at this point in this day and age, you think? If it if it came back or if it had never died, what do you or from how he said, how do you think old school ECW would have handled today? So I guess the if you were to take what you had back then and put it in today's ecoscape, so to speak, I guess how would it fare? How would they handle today's cancel culture? 
Oh, shit. Um, well, they would be canceled instantly. Right. When you put it, you put it that way. Right. You couldn't do any of that stuff. And I always say, you know, we, we were lighting fans on fire. You know what I mean? And jumping onto the fans. And even back then, you know, they were they were starting to sue more towards the end, it seemed like. I had a few lawsuits. And um, ECW just paid the nuisance fee. No, I had to go to some depositions and stuff, too, actually. And then they paid the nuisance fee. Um, just, you know, diving out into the crowd and, like, someone saying that they got bumped into. Uh, stuff like that. You couldn't do that stuff. And, you, and, and politically, all of it was incorrect from... I don't know the the uh, the the abortion angles to the to the cross nail and being nailed to the cross to uh, the language. The, um, the it was like a Jerry Springer era, so it's like Jerry Springer. <laughs> it wasn't like fucking. Yeah. You couldn't put him in there, and like it's gonna be mainstream or anything like that. It was just the time period is what it's all about, you know. Yeah, it would definitely. It, it was awesome for what for what it was, but. In order for there to be a new ECW, it would have to find a new way to all of a sudden, boom, stand out and be super cool. In some ways, AEW has done that because because of everything they've done and their success. You know, like when they first started out, I was as, as skeptical as anytime someone says they're going to come out and, you know, I mean, that happens all the time. Uh, um, the nasty boy had the Brian Knobs had some guy with Major League Baseball money, and we were going to start this big uh, promotion. And we did one show, and then I think that was about it. Um, there might have been another one way later. I don't know, but it always happens where you know, yeah. The, and and this there's this new company, and a lot of things that would a lot of times it would be this one's going to have health insurance for the wrestlers, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. So I've heard that a bit. So, so at first I was just like, yeah, we'll see, you know, like so far there's no reason for me to feel either way. I'll see it when, you know, I believe it when I see it. And, and they definitely have uh, offered an alternative, definitely made a big, uh, big noise. It's awesome what Jericho has been doing and not just him, but you know, he's, he's my age and had a career about as long as mine. And it's cool to see uh, him still in there, like on top, doing it his way, you know, and you know, I'm a big proponent of doing it your own way. And that's what, that's what the boys did with, with AEW. So I can compare it to ECW in, in those ways of it being like um, a cool, more hip in touch alternative, maybe the, than the mainstream, something that uh, maybe the boys have more of their expression involved in it, you know, but, but as far as like ECW is just like so different to me that I don't think it can be about stunts and stuff anymore. No. I don't know. It would have to be about something no one's thought of. So I can't tell you what I think that would be. And Terry Funk once said, uh, like I talked to him like a couple of years ago and I remember him saying that it almost has to come back around to like a realism aspect of it, where it would be like, you know, obviously people know, you know, the ins and outs of it. And like, especially in today's day and age, but it's like, they don't know what they know, but I know where you're going. Yeah, yeah. But if you're to kind of keep it in the realm of reality where it would be like, hey, this guy was like a, like, this Pat O'Connor fella fucking, they could rustle you out of your pants and all that shit, you know, where it's like Pat O'Connor or 
like Stuart, like you know those guys that could actually like really wrestle and like the Sheik and stuff like that, and they, you know get back to that kind of realism aspect of it all. That's almost see- what's old. I, maybe I don't see it going that way. I mean, I myself am old school, obviously, even though. I'm at least partly responsible for bridging the gap between that and what we have nowadays, I think. But um, at the same time, my old school fundamentals that are inconsistent with what I see on TV are probably not the way it's going to go. I think it's going to keep going away from that. You think so? Here's here's why I think that. I mean, I think that it's always about the story, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and the story of the match. I mean, not the not the angle and everything that's set into it, but the story that two people tell with, with their fighting exhibition in, in the ring. And that's, that's something that hopefully somebody will uh, implement that because it takes a mindset that, that you believe in every moment of what you're doing in that fight exhibition. And, um, I don't know. I, you know, I, it doesn't seem like it's going more that way. Um, but I think of it like this, you know, like when I was a kid, it was really cool. Uh, I used to ride a, a, a bike, you know, like a regular pedal bike. And I thought it was really cool to be able to do a wheelie, you know, yeah. and do a really long wheelie, maybe go four, four driveways down the road, you know, boom. And um, I even had a steering wheel instead of handlebars so I could like spin it and stuff. Um, but, uh, there wasn't anybody that was doing like backflips or standing on their handlebars or any of that. And now like I see stuff on Instagram that people hadn't even thought of a lot of that to be possible in cartoons. And it's amazing, uh, where, um, the extreme levels go because, None of it seems possible. I don't know if you've seen this, but people are riding the bike and they can they can jump up and stand on it and spin around and do a handstand and spin and land on the spokes and and then like balance the bike down to the ground on each side and like all kinds of do a cartwheel on it. And it's like, um, dude, like that that's a long way from uh, being able to do a wheelie. And we had an endo. We had an endo where you kick your ass, you, you know, like a, a little fishtail, but you jump up and make your back tire. Right. It was called an endo. Those were our two big moves. And uh, it's come a long way from there. So um, that's what it seems like wrestling has done, too, is become more extreme in, in certain ways. And, uh, you know, it tries to hang on to the foundation but it's a pretty loose grip so i don't know we'll see yeah. what happens it's a it's very much a touch and go kind of thing like what is going to catch on and how much of it will be implemented on a consistent basis on television for people to get you know in tune with it i think it's all going to boil down to that so Ooh. well rob uh yes uh rvdology time but we touched upon it a little bit i did from a perspective i would be this whole week, I was a little more mindful, too, of moments when I would get angry or like and like some like you were kind of mentioning, like simple shit, like little stupid shit could kind of piss me off. Like, say right before I even got on here, like I'm getting trying to set up here on, on the computer and everything like that. Yeah. I, I uh, heated up a cup of coffee and like it's a huge cup of coffee. And like I, I set it down like here right by on the desk and I'm about to get ready. And I had to do something and I 
picked it up and I spilled the coffee and it got near my computer. Like, oh, fuck. But it's like, hey, like, I'm cognizant. I'm about to get angry. It's not a big deal. You know? What can you do about it? You can't rewind it. And then also, um, I was I was thinking ahead about like moments where I would potentially get angry and I would think like, how could I make this funny if it did happen? And that, I, I didn't get angry, but it was like, I was thinking, I was expecting to get angry at certain points. I was like, but if that did happen, what, how could I make that funny? Like, what would, what, how could I spin that around on itself? So, yeah, look at each, look at each, look at each failure is a W, you know, right. uh-huh. just look at it as a win. It's, uh, it's, it's awesome. Like, uh, all right. Oh, sweet. Um, the airport, everything is closed at the airport. There's nothing to eat. That's awesome. We got three hours here. There's nothing. That's awesome. This yeah. is great. <laughs> I can't wait to feel hungry the whole night it's, now. Because it'd be easy, you know, if you wanted to, to let yourself go the other way. You'd be like, oh, God damn it. How can they expect us? This, this, three hours? There's got to be something, man. Fuck. You know, and you know, if you're pretty sure that you're fucked, then uh, just you gotta accept it, and okay. you know, try to try to uh, get in touch with your own strength. You'll be surprised at what you can get through without being mad. You'll survive. You'll survive. You'll make it's it. Yeah. Three hours. And <laughs> you're just in the storm, and that storm's gonna pass. That's all it is. Yeah, all right, it, Rob. So, what do you got for us this week here, brother? Um. You know, I was going to talk about one thing, and uh, I think that maybe I'm going to switch it up. And because earlier we were talking about uh, image, and I was talking about the image that I put out there where people think that I can fly and people think that I can do anything. And it's an image that, that I put out there, and that was important to me. When you're a celebrity, you have to be very image conscious. And a lot of basic thinkers are not image conscious. And it, and it shows in their actions and the choices that they make. For instance, they will let a lot of bullshit come out of their mouth because they don't care if they're right or wrong. There's no, there's no incentive for them to be right if they're wrong. They'll argue with you anyway, just because uh, they feel like arguing or feel like uh, like they want to win a, a fight. And, and they don't care about the image, uh, but images are subjective. And everybody's image of everything is different. You know, Katie loves the Kardashians. They make her so happy. A lot of people can't stand the Kardashians. So uh, the Kardashians' image... Uh, to the haters, I mean, I can't speak for them, but a lot of them think they're famous for what a porno tape or for nothing or what have they done, and uh, and then you know, but they influence uh, Katie and and a lot of people. She has a complete different image, um, you know. Um, what's the one uh, Katie left? So I can't get the the main one that was with um, Kim. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she's like, she's got like her, her, her law degree or she's studying for it or whatever. That's man, that's motivating as hell. I wish I could do that. And, uh, and I can make my own schedule. I should be able to do that because I love learning about the law. I love learning more about my own rights. If you don't 
know your rights, then you have no rights. And it's a fascinating area. Um, and she gets people that were wrongfully accused out of jail and stuff like that. Like, that's pretty cool. But anyway, uh, everybody has an image of everybody and it's limited to the information that they have on somebody. You know, uh, you asked me earlier about CM Punk. Well, you know, I have an image of CM Punk, but it's really based on very limited experiences. I have traveled with them um, as far as like sitting next to him on an airplane um, or, or bus. Um, I have sat in the dressing room with him. Um, have I shared a room with him? No. Um, which, by the way, one time he asked if he could have a ride, if he could get a ride to the airport. Um, and I was uh, I was like, sure. And I was like, um, and I was like, you know, it is going to be a, a, a smoking car, just FYI. And he was like, yeah, you, you don't forget, it, I'll get a ride with someone else. And uh, I always thought, I, I don't know if he thought that I was going to say if I was trying to be add pressure and be like, you have to smoke if you're in the car. I just meant there was going to be smoke just in the car. Yeah. He could have taken it the wrong way as if, like, if you ride with us, you're smoking, which why would I care? But you never know how. Uh, but um anyway because and i'm going to start doing these uh hot shots in history i'm going to start filming these educate people on, uh, on cannabis but because i've always known that the laws and the whole image against cannabis was based on bs i've always been fascinated with that subject and i've always wanted to educate people which I'm going to be doing um, on short little video clips. I'll put them out on social media and on my YouTube page, and I have a whole list of them, uh, and I'm going to start filming. I'm looking forward to doing that. But because of the image of cannabis uh, that was purposely, disingenuously put out there by certain people like Harry Anslinger back in the 30s and 40s, um, because of that and because of Cheech and Chong, people like that, um, the image of cannabis is one such that even being associated with it and using my spotlight to draw attention to the most resourceful plant on the planet, I've given up part of my image, my whole image, to a certain uh, number of the population who, because they're because of their thinking, they will always see me as like, dude, and they will always say, Rob, you're high, man, go home, bro. And and because of that, because that's the image that they will see me as, which, I mean, they're, they're a, a passing population. They're going out just like the people that fought against segregation, people uh, being being lifted, people that fought against uh, women's rights. Uh, times are changing and uh, cannabis is now legal everywhere except for like 12 states, maybe 13 states. It's a very minority, but yet people, even though there, even though millions and millions of successful people, including lawyers and doctors use cannabis on a daily to improve their lives, for certain basic thinkers, their image is always going to be like, he's stoned, dude, which, you know, I, I smoke while we're doing this. And 
maybe my eyes get red, but I'm very far from uh, being uh, incomprehensible and being able to uh, articulate my thoughts, you know, and I, and I don't get like that. So uh, when it comes to image, everything that you do presents your image to other people that see you or hear about you. A lot of my friends have kind of ruined their image by screwing up so many times one way or another. Uh, people will always think of them like that unless they get a reason to add information to their, uh, their image of you. So uh, keep that in mind. It's always subjective. Um, I remember when uh, I was in WWE and uh, Bill Goldberg was, was coming in this day and I was, I'd never met him, but I had this image of him in mind uh, that he was, that I wasn't going to like him because he had said something that I took personal, which was stupid about ECW, something about the, the, the nobody in ECW is talented and uh, something like that. Or, or I thought that he said that, whatever, that was the limited info I had. I had this image in my mind of him. And then um, he was at, at catering and uh, he was like putting food on his plate. And, uh, I, and I went up and I was, uh, um, I was near there and he came out to me and extended his hand and he said, Hey, you know, Rob Van Dam, man, I'm Bill Goldberg, man. I, man, I'm a big fan of yours. I really appreciate your work. And all of a sudden, I was like, my image was way off. This yeah. dude's like, really cool. And he was like, you're so talented. And I was like, dude, an image is just an image. It's not uh, a real person. It's not three three dimensional. It's just an image. And uh, that's what lives up in our mind. The real people don't don't live up here. Just so uh, it, keep in mind that all of your actions help build your image. If you want people to think you're an asshole, then act like an asshole. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? And if you want people to think you're cool, then try and put that out there. And everything that you do creates your image to some people. Some people, it seems like you just can't change their image of you, but really you can. They just don't have enough information about you, or maybe they have the right image of you. But um, because uh, I was the first person or one of the first for the wrestling promoters to see do a lot of moves, such as uh, my one-legged kick off the top rope. Um, they Terry Taylor used to tell me, like, you're going to blow your knee out. Like, you know, can't you, like, bump with it? Which I usually do now, but I used to jump off the top rope Bam, I deliver the one-legged sidekick to yeah. somebody's face. Bam, and I used to land standing up, which sometimes I still do, but usually I'll go ahead and just, like, roll with it because I feel like after I deliver it, sometimes I like to just uh, let gravity take over. Um, but they were like, man, you're gonna, aren't you going to blow your knee out? Like, that's crazy. I cringe every time I see you do that. Terry Taylor said that to me um, one time shortly after that. Because I was like, no, man, it's I'm good. I've been doing that for years. Um, Arn Anderson came up to me because he, he was an agent and he was discussing this idea that they had for a match where there's going to be several wrestlers involved. Somebody was going to be coming down to the ring, down the aisle way, theoretically. And Arn was wanting 
uh, he did suggest this was brought up in a meeting that RVD jumps off the top rope over the corner post and does that one-legged kick to the person that's uh, running towards the ring. Bam! Down to the floor. I said, Arn, are you fucking crazy? I said, you think, you think I can do that kick from the top rope to the floor? Over the corner post, you think I can land that and then land safely and not kill myself? And he's like, "Are you, you mean you can't? Are you saying you can't?" I'm like, "Not safely. I could do it, but I would I would kill myself, dude. I, from the top rope, <laughs> jump down towards the aisle and extend my leg and deliver that kick." And then, and then land safely. So, well, I, I'm sorry, Rob, because, you know, the funny thing is there was uh, five or six of us in the meeting and there wasn't one of us that even questioned that you could do it. <laughs> That's all because of the image that, that I put out there. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, every action publicly, especially for people like us, everything I say, this is all going towards people's image of me. So that's why I'm conscious of what I say. I'm not cancelable because I'm a good valued person. So good, in fact, that I'm proud enough to share when I can. We learn from two ways, our own experience and the experience of others. So if I can uh, help other people with my experience, boom! I'm here to do it. You got it settled, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so no, I'm going to that and just go off the cuff and just talk about it. Um, and, uh, you know, keep keep that in mind, though. Everyone's got an image of you. You know, it might be somebody you don't think you're going to see again. You know, maybe it's a person at the grocery store, the bank, whatever. Um, when you see them again, they already have an image of you, you know? if If you're the guy that Farted in line at the bank, they're gonna be like, "Oh my god, that's that fucking dude farted." That dude. That's that fucking stinky ass guy. <laughs> hey, some of the fans, you know, I think like, "Uh oh, here's that one with that really bad breath." I do, you yeah. know, I, it's part of my image of them because uh, that's that's my experience. Yeah, you always got to think about this, and especially too if you're in the limelight and stuff. So oh, for sure, hundred percent. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It would, it would only take one little slip up of me doing something really stupid that I would never do, though, you know? Right. Because right. you're aware of yourself and, like, what you put out there and you're all, you know. It's, it's, it's I'm not an idiot. I'm not an idiot. Right. You're not a basic thinker. <laughs> exactly. So you, too, can elevate from basic thinker status if yes. you if you're willing to reprogram yourself as an adult. All it takes is being aware and that's it. The more you're aware of it, that's the first step towards building strength and uh, and changing it. You know, you'll notice it. You'll point it out to yourself, and then boom, then you can deal with it. All right, right. And level up, level up. And it's like if you're not learning as you go on, you're not, you know, you're not growing. So, hell yeah, Rob. Cool. Well, um, before so this will release tomorrow on Premiere, and then it'll release on Monday everywhere at 4 20 p.m eastern but is there anything that you want to kind of plug going yeah so yeah i just got back uh, like i said we went to that um this coming weekend where am i on the 25th mm -hmm. i i am uh, is that astronomicon maybe so hmm. running uh, in next weekend to this week so it'll be the 20 
So next weekend will be the 20, wait, the 20, yeah, you're right, 25th. Uh-huh. I'm somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, um, hold on a second. That's okay. Well, uh, two, me no five. worries. As Rob's doing that, what you guys are watching here, if you're watching it, you're watching on the Premier Network, the full episode. But maybe you're seeing these clips on YouTube, which you can do at above. Go to rvdpod.com. Be sure to make some comments, whatever the video is, whether it's a question that we ask or RVDology. Drop some comments in there. Drop your thoughts in there. Give us feedback. Oh, geez, oh, man. <laughs> um, so the 24th and 25th, I am in Michigan. Um, uh, it's the uh, Astronomicon, I believe. Oh, okay. so I'm not exactly sure what city, somewhere. I mean, it's in Detroit, but I'm not exactly sure like uh, what part, but my old stomping ground. So uh, I know we're going to kill it there. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Yeah. How does it feel when you go back to Michigan like that? Pretty good. Yeah, and it's been a minute. It's I haven't been there, and um, I can't remember the last time I've been. Before it's been you here or after? Um, oh, way before. Uh, I, wow, I can't so it's remember been that long. Time. Yeah. Wow. Holy smokes! I don't know, five, ten years. There's really not uh, much reason to go to go back. Uh, I'm trying to think of like I think I drove through when maybe when I was with TNA and I was close by, um, like in Saginaw or something. I think that was the last last trip I remember anyway. Um, and um, I maybe I was in um, somewhere around there anyway. And I drove through and I saw like maybe two people that uh, that I knew, and so that was wow. So that was at least ten years ago. How about that? Yeah. Man. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, besides Battle Creek, nowhere else in Michigan either. So, yeah, so I guess you know, there's probably some people that are ready to see RVD. Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, homecoming, a little homecoming happening. Well, cool, yeah. Um, as far as anything else goes, guys, follow RVD on Twitter at The Real RVD, follow me on Twitter at Dominic D'Angelo, uh, follow the podcast at RVD Pod. Rob, when you followed the RVD Pod, we got like 200 more followers. So. Awesome. You really heated it up. So good stuff. <laughs> nice. <laughs> follow if you're not. Yeah, follow if you're not, exactly. But hey guys, uh, it's been another fun episode. Uh thank you to producer Chris for coming up with the notes and everything like that. Good dude, Chris. Yep. Big, big thanks to him. Uh big thanks to all you guys that have interacted with us and everything like that. We appreciate it very much. So thank you, Premier. And hey, guys, we'll see you next week here. Rob, thanks for joining me here on your own podcast. One of a kind with RVD. Have a great weekend or great week, depending on when you're listening. When you're tuning in. <laughs> I was waiting for some kind of sign, some kind of indication. I was wasting my time. I got myself about the basement. I faked it long enough to say I made it. I was patient. I put up a fight I kept saying to myself Oh, the future is bright